Major announcements today um, amongst the PGA Golf Tournament uh, in regards of changing some dates, including the Masters being in November. That's right, the Masters in November. And then, of course, you have, uh, you know, with, with golf here in the state of Utah and, and how does that change things, uh, we are absolutely privileged and pleasured uh, to have the, I, I hope I get his title right because I don't want to screw this up, but I'm going to try it again. It's the Utah, or excuse me, Executive Director of the Utah Golf Association, Jacob Miller, joining us here on the Full Court Press. Mr. Miller, thank you for your time. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, so let's start here with the announcements that have came out about the, uh, about this uh, Utah Golf Association, or excuse me, not with the Utah Golf Association, with the PJ and the Masters being in November, can they? I mean, can they make that work, especially with the weather being as it is in November? Yeah, I tell you what, the the surprising one out of all of that was the Masters being in November. I don't know if anybody's been to Augusta, Georgia, that time of year, but it's uh, it can be pretty brisk. So. I'm I'm interested to see how they pull that one off. I also think of all of them that that one has the best opportunity to actually be played as is. I think uh, the one thing we know about all of this COVID-19 stuff is that we don't know enough and we don't know when things are going to happen and when they're going to change. So I, I, I look at that PGA championship date in the first week of August as relatively aggressive, depending on how they, they want to host it, especially if they're thinking about getting spectators on that property. So it's uh, I think that they can get it done, and if anybody can do it, it's Augusta National. The interesting thing about that golf course is it's actually a, a spring and fall golf course. They shut it down for a couple months in the summer uh, and have no play. So really, I don't think that's outside of their normal wheelhouse in terms of, of when their club would operate. But uh, mixing a little football with the Masters is, uh, you know, for a sports fan who's pretty deprived right now, uh, that's kind of an exciting prospect. <laughs> hey, with the Ryder Cup being on September 22nd through 27th, does it change what uh, big-time golfer, I mean, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and what those guys, does it change what their schedule is going to look like and what events they decide to participate in? Oh, absolutely. I mean, those guys build their schedules around, um, you know, the majors, and then, of course, the Ryder Cup is, is one of the very best events in all of golf. Um, so these guys' schedules... I'm imagining that that they probably got wind of some of these changes, um, you know, prior to the public getting it. But all of their schedules are going to change at this point uh, for, you know, building what they have around it. What will be very interesting to see is how they schedule the other tour events, because obviously those dates throughout the summer and then into the fall are already scheduled PGA Tour event dates. So whether those are um, you know, kind of side events like the Puerto Rico Open that Tony Finau won a few years ago that take place while a major or something else is going on. If they look at them in that regard or, um, you know, a different way, it's going to be really interesting. But, yes, Phil and Tiger and all of them will be – they basically scrapped their schedule uh, and are going to be building it from, from the start up here as uh, we figure out when the PGA Tour is going to get off the ground again. How does it affect – uh, just, I mean, how much golf is going to be played? How tight is that schedule going to end up being for these golfers to fit all these kind of tournaments in? Yeah, it's going to be extremely tight. The PGA Tour has rules about how many events that each uh, tour member has to participate in each season in order to, to remain and, and keep their tour card. So trying to pack all of these into a very short schedule, I'm sure there'll be some events that players normally compete in uh, but now conflict with those uh, Masters and U.S. Open PGA Championship dates. 
uh, and then some pretty big tournaments. I would imagine, especially that early August event and the September event uh, that the U.S. Open is going to be over the top of. So there will be fields of players um, at some of those. I'm going to call them other events that are that are at the same time as those majors that are going to give opportunities for players to play who who maybe didn't have a chance to. You know, they're expanding who's going to be playing on tour those weeks because uh, they're going to be filling two fields, not just one. So that'll be a, a huge positive for some of those players. And then at the same time for those events, you're going to lose some of the big names, obviously, because they're going to be competing in the larger events. Um, and you're going to have guys that love certain events or love certain golf courses and want to go play at them and do well at them. As you see, take a look at Tiger and his career. He's won, you know, half of his events that, you know, seven or eight different golf courses and he continues to go to them year after year and do well. Um, you may see some of those guys lose an opportunity to play at a track that they feel very comfortable on or have scored well on or have done well on in the past. So kind of a positive and negative from a lot of different perspectives, depending on who you are and how you're looking at it. All right, we're going to give this a try and see if uh, this you can hear me now. We'll cross our fingers. I can fingers. hear you now, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Excellent. It's my bad. <laughs> okay. So as always. So I'll, 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 uh, it's, it's okay. We'll forgive you this one time. Um, I'll ask the question that I asked you, uh, I tried to ask you previously. With the, we know that there's some other sports that are considering playing games without fans. Could golf do the same thing? And as a follow-up, how important is it to have those tens of thousands, sometimes even hundreds of thousands of, of people that can be on a course doing a major event? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, I, and I think I'll answer it in a couple different ways. You know, at this point, I would be, if you look at San Francisco, look at the PGA Championship at Harding Park, um, the state of California has more restrictions uh, other than New York uh, than other, any other state right now. So putting 100,000 people on that, that TPC Harding Park property come August is, I would be shocked if, if they were able to do that uh, with all the restrictions that will still likely be put into place. So, for a lot of these organizations, the PGA of America, the USGA, PGA Tour and Masters, you know, TV rights and TV revenue are the, the biggest piece of what they do. Obviously, they get hurt significantly not having you know, a couple hundred thousand ticket sales happening those weeks and all the merchandise that goes along with it, food and beverage, etc. So you know, I'm sure all of those organizations are looking at it from a financial standpoint, and that might be a little bit of why we've seen the, the, uh, the Open uh, go to the wayside, which is disappointing for all golfers. But it's uh, to the loss of all of that revenue for those organizations. And speaking for them, they a lot of them are one-trick ponies. The, the PGA of America has the PGA Championship and the Ryder Cup, and the vast majority of their budgets as an organization are made up of those couple events. Uh, same thing with USGA and the U.S. Open. It's That's a big piece of what they do, and obviously the Masters, or I guess the National with with the Masters tournament. So it's a, I don't think it's required. Uh, I think those all of those organizations are going to be looking at it. How do we make this event happen? How can we televise this event safely? Because there's obviously going to be millions of us sports fans um, dying to see golf and football and everything else uh, once it finally gets back on TV. I think from a player's standpoint, um, you know, obviously there's there's less feel when you don't have those huge roars and you're not going to putt or, or hit a three-pointer or score a touchdown, whatever it might be. You won't have some of that happening. But um, a lot of what they're 
doing is based off of TV. So if they can get a product that they can put on TV that's still good and still gives you most of a sense of what these golf tournaments would be like, I think that's probably what these organizations are shooting for at this point. And if they can get some spectators on on property, um, I think that'll be kind of a bonus for them at this point. For some of these, to to host one of these major tournaments, I mean, it's like a four- or five-year process. Is that all going to be shifted? Uh, they already started to make some some decisions on that. That if, if it didn't happen this year, it's just the 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 time of the clock just shifts back a year for everybody else, or has that even been discussed yet? I, I you know I'm not necessarily privy to those internal discussions amongst those organizations, but speaking from our standpoint, and I would imagine it's pretty similar. You know, you already have a schedule built for the next handful of years. You've got the next eight or nine U.S. Open sites lined up. Same thing with the PGA Championship. They're out between five and and ten years. So I would expect that if a club gets passed over this year, um, you know, they're just going to find a way to the back of the rotation. I'm I'm sure that those big organizations obviously want to continue to have those clubs involved with their championship. But um, from a from a standpoint of, of pushing everybody back, I think that would be extremely difficult for for the, all the rest of the clubs to then be pushed back because they're planning on having it uh, in a certain year. And you're absolutely right. The U.S. Open is a, is about a five-year process in terms of agronomy and what they're trying to do, growing grass and changing fairways and greens and, and all of this stuff, the infrastructure that goes with hosting a major championship. There is a ton going on there that these clubs have to do and a lot of dollars behind that. Um, so I, I can't see them just pushing schedules back. It'll be kind of a, you know, a tough luck, tough, with the, tough luck on the draw for these organizations or for these clubs that are hosting this year. So hopefully they happen uh, to what extent will be, you know, we're still waiting and seeing on that, but um, I think it'll be a, just a loss for those clubs if they don't get to host this year. Assistant or excuse me, executive director of the Utah Golf Association, Jacob Miller, joining us here on the Full Court Press. Uh, Mr. Miller, let me ask you, what is the situation like in Utah with golfing? I've seen uh, responsible golfers going out, staying six feet apart, golfing in separate carts, being smart about the situation. Is that what you've seen so far? And uh, what would you recommend to golfers who want to continue to go out? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that the response from our PGA professionals in the state and our clubs has been just tremendous. And you, we've seen over the last couple of weeks, a few courses have, have closed down between the Salt Lake County, Salt Lake City, uh, Davis County courses. They've clo- closed to put proper precautions into place so they can uh, you know, operate their golf courses effectively and safely. Most of them have moved to online tee times. Uh, they won't take cash. You're not interacting with any golf course staff. You know, before your round, it's you pay online, you come up, you know, Jake Miller here for, you know, four o'clock tea time. Great. Have a nice day. If you need a cart, lots of places have gone walking only. So there's golf courses are, you know, one of the more safe places to be, you know, with all of this going on. And they're becoming quickly the one of the last re- last refuges for anybody wanting to go outside and, and enjoy some outdoor recreation as we welcome spring in here and the weather starts to get nice. So if everybody's doing their part, which the clubs are certainly doing so and, and golfers are, are doing so as well, I think we can maintain and keep our golf courses open. Um, that's kind of the goal at this point. So I, there are a lot of good uh, guidelines out there that 
the CDC and other places have, have and USGA have uh, helped us with in terms of making our golf facilities safe for people. And, and so far, that's what I've been seeing, and that's been the case. I know you talked about this a little bit already, but with that of staying six feet apart and and you know golf cart situation, as as safe as it is, does it surprise you that they still postponed so many events in the PGA, knowing that they probably could have worked through it and and maybe made some adjustments? I think the challenging piece uh, when you look at something locally versus the PGA Tour is is all of the additional working parts uh, to a PGA Tour event. Mm-hmm. So local stuff, you get in your car, you drive to your golf course, you can pay online, you play around, you leave, they can clean the carts and do all the things necessary. It's very small scale. When you're looking at a PGA Tour event, just the travel in and of itself is kind of a scary proposition. And I think that's where most of the major leagues, and sorry, NBA, MLB, MLS, PGA Tour, all of these these players and coaches and everybody associated with those events have to get on an airplane or, or get in a vehicle and travel across the country. And I think just that part in and of itself um, makes the commissioners extremely nervous to put their, their high-priced talent uh, in harm's way like that. So just little things like that. And then we already talked about this a bit before, but the spectator piece of it, I mean, you've got somewhere in the ballpark of, 30 to 100 or 200,000, depending on your golf course, people on one single property using bathrooms and food and beverage facilities and all sorts of stuff where it's the, the pieces that you can do at a local level at a single golf course with only 150 to 200 golfers a day, you can't put any of that stuff into play when you've got 100,000 people on site. It would be there's not enough staff or, or operation, you know, great operation in the world to make that be a safe environment. Hey, uh, last question for me. Uh, it, just before all of this hit, uh, before all the craziness started to happen, how would you say the, the health of golf is in the state of Utah? You know, golf in the state has been, been really strong in the last handful of years. Our facilities have been doing well. Obviously, there's been a bit of a, a market correction from from the early 2000s and the, the late 19 uh, or, you know in late 1990s when you had so much golf course expansion and building and golf courses were being built so you could sell property. Now you've seen a little bit of a even a little bit here in Utah, but even nationwide a little bit of a correction there. But you know, UGA memberships have been growing the last handful of years. We've seen the biggest growth in our, our junior memberships. There's so many clubs around the state that are, have great junior programs. And the other interesting thing, and I, I get asked that, that very similar question a lot, when you measure lots of sports, you include all, all aspects, all avenues of that sport. So you know, if you're looking at baseball, you're thinking T-ball and Little League and, and Legion ball and all of, this, all of the different things within that. And golf has really always been classified as just green grass facilities. Who's going out to the golf course? Who's playing rounds of golf? But the big piece that you've seen growth the last handful of years is uh, we call it entertainment golf. So things like Top Golf and Drive Shack and uh, organizations like that that golfers are coming to and people are picking up a golf club and swinging and, and hitting a golf ball for the first time that never have before. But they're doing it in a different avenue than traditional green grass golf. So if you factor that stuff in, I mean, golf is, is certainly on a on the correct trajectory, you know, <laughs> preceding all of this stuff, of course. 
And then final question for me, how can people keep up to date with the Utah Golf Association uh, uh, to look up you know, courses that are open or things that they can do to be able to, if they want to go golfing? Yeah, or when tournaments start happening yep. again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, public schedule is on our UGA website uh, under the Play tab, public schedule. Um, in terms of you know, how you can keep yourself safe, we've got a number of articles uh, from the USGA and other resources on our website that if you're nervous about venturing outside and getting on a golf course, um, some, some little helpful tricks and tips to, to keep you safe while out there. Um, it's, I, I would encourage, you know, if people want to get out and they're comfortable getting out and playing, you know, like I said, I'm very proud of the PGA pros in the States and all the, all the things that our facilities have done to, to help keep golfers safe. So if, if you're one that feels comfortable getting out there, I would certainly recommend doing so. Enjoy some of the decent spring weather that we're having. He's the executive director of the Utah Golf Association, Mr. Jake Miller. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Jake. That was really good stuff. Greatly appreciate it. Let's do it again soon. Anytime, guys.